Welcome everyone to the OG pod. Today we have Cody Crockett, who is a doctor of physical therapy and a NCAA All-American athlete, author of Eat, Move, Sleep, uh, Three Habits for a Healthy Life. Cody is a speaker, he's an educator, and he's a peak performance coach. Welcome to the show. Excellent. Thank you, Caleb. I'm happy to be here. Are you calling in from Alaska? Yeah, I'm in Alaska here. And, you know, this time of the year, we're at a high amount of sunlight. So we're about 22 hours of daylight right now. Wow. And fortunately, we have some rain going on today. So summertime, we pray for rain so we can get a little bit of darkness and get a little bit of sleep. But yeah, summertimes, sleep tends to get sacrificed. Does but it yeah, does Alaska it kind of throw off your schedule? Like during those? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's what's the latitude? Yeah, Cause it, I know Russia has winter nights. Have you heard of those? The, not that term. No. Um, or maybe it's not called winter nights, but, um, basically where, we, or no, not winter nights, white nights, white nights, uh, where basically nights. the sun oh, doesn't okay. go down. Yeah. So we're, we're about the same thing in the yeah. summertime. They call it the midnight sun because the sun will be up till like midnight, 1230 in the morning. And so in the summer times, it can look just like a sunset from like 11 p.m. until like 4 a.m., which is an amazing thing to see. And then it's the complete reverse in the wintertime, where in the wintertime, it's pretty much 22, 23 hours of darkness. We're blessed with the northern lights in the wintertime. Uh, and fortunately, the temperatures are actually a little warmer here than, say, like in the Midwest. So people think I'm up here living in an igloo year round and in the winter times it might feel like it, but yeah, it's actually a, a really beautiful place and I try to keep it secret. I don't want a bunch of people coming up here to take over and start taking up space. I'm sure I they like will. Like we'll, we'll try and we'll try and blow it up if they, if they find out. Um, but Alaska is known to be beautiful. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in a, one of our previous conversations was uh, just the role of nature in mental health and like well-being. Is that kind of what brought you to Alaska or can you remind me what brought you to Alaska? Yeah, exactly. So I worked as a, I'm a tr physical therapist. I went to doctor physical therapy school. And after I graduated from university, I decided to take on a traveling gig. So I traveled for five years through the Southwest of Colorado, New Mexico and Texas. I'm originally born and raised in Ohio. So I come from the the Midwest and then Michigan. I moved to the Southwest, Ohio. Oh no, I was just saying Ohio. I'm Midwest yeah. as well. As well. So, I'm from, Michigan. Uh, from there I travel. Oh, are you, you from Michigan, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to distract. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. That's cool. <laughs> so yeah, from the Midwest went to the Southwest, was able to travel, had a beautiful time, and I'm really much into getting outside, hiking, backpacking, and felt like I did so much in the Southwest that I was looking for the next best thing. And so Alaska got my attention. We got this pretty much a continent up here, the size of, you know, from the Mississippi to the West Coast, and it's this large amount of land, and it's a huge. lot of it's untapped, raw nature. Yeah, it's incredible. And you don't really grasp it until you come up here and then you can see how vast it really is. And it's an amazing place to be up here where we have such access to raw wild nature that uh, with the outdoors, with the wildlife, hunting, fishing, hiking, 
it's just an incredible place to be. And I, I saw some posts on your really Instagram. Attention. It just looks so beautiful. It just looks like you'd be healed just by living there. <laughs> Truly, yeah. It's such a spiritual experience for me just to live here because of the vastness of the mountains, of the wilderness, and honestly, the extremes. And that's really what caught my attention right off the bat was how extreme this place is. We have, you know, one of the largest boar tides in the world that come in. It's a 26 to 27 foot tide that comes in. And we have glaciers within an hour. Of this what place. is that? Uh, the I, you, you said it was a, a, a the, what tide? A boar tide. So what, what happens with the boar tide? Yeah, so uh, the boar tide is a sort of a tide that comes in. And when it comes in, it comes in so strong that there's a almost like a big wave that comes in with it. So a lot of places, the tide just slowly drifts up. Well, there's a, such an extreme tide here that there can be a, a bore tide where it comes in and it creates a sort of a wave at the front of this tide. And it's such an extreme fluctuation that it's one of the most extreme tides in the world. And it's, I mean, literally 10 minutes down the road and I can go and watch this tide come in and beluga whales will come in with it a lot of times. Oh my God. It's such an, a magical place here that it's almost like a fairy tale because of the level of wildlife, nature, and it's a way that you can find and sort of rediscover that magic in nature uh, because it truly feels like a like this place shouldn't exist, like it's a different planet. Well, I see like I, I'm just looking at your Instagram right now. you got like bald eagles and hawks and bears and trees. And it's, it's like, are these real photographs you took? Like you saw these animals like in nature? <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. Wow, it's, wow. I'll either see them in nature or they'll come find me in the city when I live in Anchorage here. <laughs> they flock <laughs> to you. So wild they, flock, because... they, they flock to you in the mornings. <laughs> they do. And the moose are like squirrels up here. The moose, you can, I mean, drive down the road and you might have a moose in the middle of the road. So you have to stop, wait for the moose to pass. Because, I mean, hitting a squirrel is one thing, but hitting a moose is a completely different beast. So, so, so after... The level so... of things here is... So after you got your doctorate, you spent a couple of years traveling and then do you feel like you're pretty settled in Alaska or, um, for, for the most part, this is yeah. the most settled that I've been in some years. I've been here in Alaska for four years now. And, you know, I've, I've moved as a clinician from a couple of different settings and I currently practice part-time as a clinician at a integrative wellness clinic where we do some really cool stuff using uh, light therapy, photobiomodulation. We're using PEMF. We're also doing uh, high-level oxygen training where we're recording VO2 max and we're doing high-altitude training where we can simulate training at, say, 25,000 feet. And then we can also reverse that and give people a high concentration of oxygen of, say, breathing 90% oxygen. So it's a really cool way that we can use biohacks and also, you know, I'm practicing as a clinician at the same time. So it's so, a really interesting so where, place. So where is your focus, do you practice. think, more? Is it on mental health, physical well-being? Is it, or do you see them as the same thing? Um, like, how do you approach wellness? Yeah, great question. So, so much of our health is, it's vast, right? From our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health, our mental, emotional health. I like to look at it as those four categories, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. You know, as a physical therapist, I like to look at things from the physical lens of things. Mm-hmm. But in my journey of just growing myself physically, realize how much of our mental health plays a role in our ability to actually change our physique and how we show up in the world. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients in the clinic and then my one-on-one coaching clients, the men that I work with, a lot of it tends to be more of the physical, the mental, and a little bit of the emotional because they're, they're all intertwined, right? We mm-hmm. can use the physical to change the emotional. Our emotional health will then change our physical health. And so much of it is tied to the, the mental, the physical, the emotional. So it's tough to just focus on one without actually at least looking at the other. Well, it seems like a much better approach. I mean, so often in medicine, you're having some symptom, like maybe you feel depressed or you can't get out of bed in the morning or whatever it is. You go to a doctor and they're going to say, take a pill. And what is that pill going to do? It's going to make it so you don't feel your feelings. And I'm guilty of that. I've had the pills, you know, like I understand it. Um, But taking uh, an approach of looking at these things in different categories of spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, and figuring out how do those interrelate? And if I make a change in one of those, how does it impact the others? I definitely in my own self see such a strong connection between physical well-being and emotional and mental health. Um, and I guess all those are related to spirit. They really are related. Um, Did you say, so I definitely want to talk about some of these human optimization things that you're working on. Um, One word that caught my mind was like photobiomodulation or something. (laughs) Like, what was that? It's it's a fancy term for, (laughs) yeah. So photobiomodulation, it's a fancy term for, say, light therapy. Photo meaning light, bio meaning life, modulation meaning change. So we can use light therapy to then change our biology. Like circadian rhythm type stuff or what kind of? Exactly. Mm. So we can use, say, like a full spectrum light bed where we're getting infrared frequencies. We're getting the blue light, the UV light. And so, so many of us, especially in the wintertime and say the wintertime in Alaska, even more extreme, we're deprived of the sunlight. We're deprived of the natural light that we need as humans that tells our body how to release hormones when it's time to sleep, wake up. And that's all tied to circadian rhythm. You mentioned that earlier is the circadian rhythm and how that can get disrupted. And even though up here in Alaska, it's a natural disruption of extreme sunlight in the summer that impacts my sleep or in the wintertime, that extreme darkness will then impact my wakefulness. Even though it's tied to nature, that can still have impacts on just how I feel, how I show up to the world. So we can use light and healthy ways to help to keep ourselves in a peak state to really optimize how our hormones work, how our mental health functions, how our bodies work. So much of it is tied to the natural environment and the natural rhythms of nature with the light, with the the water that we drink. Yeah, that nature aspect. So those elements. That nature aspect is so interesting to me. I have a dog, so he's a two-year-old husky. And he is so natural. Like, he wakes up in the morning. What does he want to do? He wants to go outside into the sunlight. And if I don't let him outside, he's going to sit as close to the sunlight as possible. And even if it's 100 degrees outside and he's a husky, he's got a big fur coat, he's still just going to bask in the sunlight. 
And then I put down food in his bowl and he just eats the perfect amount and he doesn't ever overeat. And then at night he like, you know, like everything he does is like so healthy and natural. And there was this quote I wanted to run by you. Um, I'm trying to piece it together. I think it was from Nietzsche and it was something like, um, he said, I call an animal sick or even a species sick when it chooses and prefers what is harmful to it. And we have so much of that happening in our world. Like we know we shouldn't like binge on Instagram or on desserts or on any of like the indulgences that are so easy uh, in our world. Um, so how how do we deal with this, um, all of these indulgences? Like how do you personally keep yourself from I don't know, for example, like overeating or overindulging on social media. Like I know you had that um, social media fast uh, last month. Um, right. Like how does that stuff affect you? Yeah, that's a fantastic quote. I really like that quote. When you know a species prefers things that aren't good for it, that's a sign of, of illness, right. of unwellness. Right. And I, th I think a perfect example of that is, say, someone that is obese, they're morbidly obese, and they have this disease from overeating, they then get the, the gastric bypass surgery where they, say, take out half your stomach, more than half your stomach, and they lose all this weight. And then after they lose this weight, they then go back binge eating, stretch their stomach out again, and they gain all the weight back. That's terrifying. It's like, you know, at what it's yeah it's and it's terrible it's sad to see that yeah. you know and then people look at it and they think oh well you know that's just the type of person i am that's just you know who they are is they just eat and it's like no you have to stop and look at this person is not well yes. they have there's a problem with their mental health there because they're choosing they're continuing to choose habits and behaviors that are sabotaging their health yes. it's keeping them in a state of disease and just like you said previously with the the social media fast so many of us cannot recognize how social media affects us we get into these traps of instant gratification where we get these hits of dopamine yep. to make us feel good it rewards us it gives us lights up the reward centers of our brain which then gets us addicted to these things and i know you me we're the type of people that we're aware of this stuff and we're interested in optimizing our health our wellness and we still are subject to these, these predispositions of, sure. you know, getting addicted to social media. And it, I recognize that in myself. And, and that's a beautiful thing to be able to recognize when we can notice that every time I'm looking at social media, I feel worse. Every mm -hmm. time I get on Facebook, I feel worse. Well, why the hell am I going to keep getting on this thing if I continually feel worse? Right. Well, people keep getting on it because it's addicting. It's lighting up those reward centers and it makes them feel good. And it, that's a behavior that is not that's exactly it goes with the quote people are stuck in this behavior that is making them feel worse they may not recognize why they feel worse and that's the disconnect and they feel worse but they can't recognize why they feel worse yeah they can't recognize and i noticed why that within they, myself they, yeah. why they feel worse but it's almost like even if they could recognize the why they still, I mean, that is what addiction is. Addiction is knowing that it's unhealthy and choosing it anyway. You know, knowing that something is going to have a negative impact on your life and you still choose it. And obviously that's a big part of the human experience. I think everyone has, deals with it in some form or fashion at some point. But 
really my question to myself and I think to other people would be like, how can you live in a way where you naturally crave and want and desire what's healthy for you and what's good for you and not the opposite, like Instagram or whatever. Have you, have you thought much about, have you thought much about like how to change your desires or if that's even possible? Yeah, I think about it a lot, actually. And I truly believe that this is a big root for why we see such poor mental health is because it's, it's this instant gratification. It's we need to have this, we're getting this feeling that we want to be instantly gratified, that we want to feel good right now, we want to feel good in this moment. And that's what social media does. It gives us that hit of dopamine of instant gratification. And I think the solution is number one is to start to be disciplined. And to be able to recognize, you know, the definition of discipline is to do the right thing, especially when you don't feel like doing it. And so if we can put our feelings aside, which goes against the mainstream narrative of feel more, you know, be in your feelings, it's okay because, you know, just let your feelings guide your actions. And that's a dangerous thing because our feelings right now are being so lit up with instant gratification that we're feeling good from things that aren't supposed to make us feel good. And so when we can delay gratification and we can do, you know, essentially what's called a dopamine detox, where we remove a lot of these instantly gratifying things, we then lower our baseline for what makes us feel good. And when we can lower that baseline, we can lower that threshold, then all of a sudden going into the gym and exercising feels good or accomplishing something and getting a project done feels good. So now these things that we used to be rewarded in nature, our primal human ancestors used to get dopamine hits from going out and hunting and foraging. They used to get dopamine hits from that. And now we got people that are getting dopamine hits from looking at these screens. While sitting on a couch eating potato chips, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Things that they used to have to work for to get those feelings. Now we're just flooding people with these feelings. So number one, we need to start acting, you know, being more disciplined and recognizing when it's time to ignore our feelings and to take action regardless of how we feel. And then number two, it's delaying that gratification and being willing to make the sacrifices and understand that doing the things that are actually in alignment with you becoming an optimal version of yourself by taking action day after day and keeping your distractions to a minimum that's when you're going to start to feel gratified from the things that are aligned with your highest self. Yeah. So removing the things that are causing the artificial stimulation of dopamine hits, we remove those. That's when taking action on the things that are aligned with your optimal self is going to be what gives you those dopamine hits with taking action towards your higher self. I think that's truly what's going to be the solution. Just is people willing to take that action and to actually delay the gratification and to make the sacrifices. But that, that, that's where we are. That takes a level of strength and endurance and will that a lot of people just don't find that they have. And they think, Hey, I wake up and I've got all these stresses and pressures and my job sucks and I hate my position and this and that and that and that. And like, I just am getting through the day uh, so that I can fill my responsibilities to my family, pay the rent, whatever it is. And, um, I don't have the motivation or desire to do more because what I'm already doing feels like it's taking all my willpower or whatever. Um, like how can people break 
out of this that type of thinking because I think that's a trap to think that way but I've thought that way for so much in my life and there was no magic solution for me <laughs> like I just had to change and, and be disciplined but like I don't even know I'm not like some great disciplined guy but like how can people improve their discipline I guess that's my question yeah and I'm not I mean I, I'm not perfect either so I have things that I have my own vices that i get to work on myself and you know I have days where I don't feel like doing things and so recognizing those times it's okay to have those times just we don't want to live in that space where we're constantly avoiding doing the right thing and so when it comes to just starting to cultivate discipline one the best way to do this you know is to get a coach to have somebody that can keep you accountable yep. because if you have a difficult time being disciplined yourself and keeping yourself accountable then you know get a coach that's i have coaches and i'm a coach and so yep. it's, i still see the value of coaches and that's something that i'll continue to see the rest of my life so if somebody struggles with discipline get yourself a coach or an accountability buddy a partner with where i am now I've invested in coaches, I've done programs, I've learned these tools and tricks to be able to keep myself disciplined. And that's where I can keep myself disciplined and be my own self accountability partner at this level. You know, I'm in the process now, I'm, I'm launching a program next week called the Men's Aesthetic Physique Program. And a lot of that is geared towards teaching men how to implement these strategies, how to be disciplined, along with you know, what to do for your workouts, your training, what's the mindset that you get to have, because I've realized along the way of my own journey of the value of having coaches of having a plan. Yep. And I see so many men that are struggling nowadays that struggle with discipline, they're addicted to video games or porn or whatever food foods, one of the biggest painkillers that we have nowadays. Yep. And seeing that if people are in a place where they do need help, and they feel like they they want to get support and actually want to make a change. That's where we can really work together to find that value. Not everyone's like that. Some people are really self-motivated, but it's very difficult to do because of, you know, whether it's because of our environment or because of the people that we're around, it's difficult to make big life changes. If somebody really wants to transform their life. And, and what's your program so, called yeah. again, the men's aesthetic, uh, physique or, the men's aesthetic physique program. program. So I call it the map for short. So yep. giving men the map to build the confidence, the aesthetic body and masculine strength, and really doing this through the path of building your aesthetic body, because through this journey, it takes the right mindset. It takes the right actions. And that's going to be what helps men to build up confidence within themselves to really embody their primal masculine strength. And then to also build their body along the way. Now, why do you focus so, on the aesthetic? Or by the way, this is going to be available on primalrx.com or how can people find it? That's right. Primalrx.com. Cool. cool. Uh, and the aesthetic part is, um, why is the, why is aesthetics important? Like, why isn't it just your VO two max and how much you can bench or whatever? Right. Yeah. So the aesthetics portion of things, it's important because you know, it may seem more of like the superficial level of things. People may see it as a negative thing because of vanity. And that's just not true. 
aesthetics is it's so important nowadays because that's the way that somebody first sees you the first time. What do they see? Yeah. Are they seeing something that is, say, sculpted, crafted, fit, and beautiful? Or are they seeing something that's overweight, you can tell they're unhealthy, and able to move? And so that's the first thing that people see when they look at you is your aesthetic. How do you present your body? How are you presenting yourself and your posture? So, so much of the way that we feel is tied to the way that we look. And it's ingrained within ourselves of if I feel good, then I'm going to do good. I think that's a hard truth for good, people, though. Continue to feel good. I, I think that's a hard truth for people. Mm. Like they want to feel like, oh, I feel good based off of my intrinsic self-worth. And I'm a valuable person just because all people are valuable. But really, you get into this feedback loop where if you're really overweight and you're walking around and you're sweating just getting up the stairs and you pass somebody who's like fit... Like maybe you're thinking in your head, like screw that guy or whatever. And so like, that's an unnecessary thought that you're having like out of, out of jealousy or whatever, or maybe somebody treats you worse, like, because you're projecting this, not projecting, but you're broadcasting this like weakness instead of strength. And a lot of how you can get into this positive or negative feedback loop with people if people are treating you really well and they're excited to be around you, you're just going to feel better. You're going to be happier. And if every time you go out of the house, you feel like ashamed that you're like too overweight for this or that or whatever, like uh, you're not aesthetically, even not aesthetically, but like you're not your ideal. You're, you're not who you want to be. Um, then people are going to sense that and they're going to feel that and they're going to treat you that way. And so you can get into this feedback loop with other people based off of how you look, how you feel about yourself. And I, I agree, it's really important to find ways to tune that up to more accurately represent something that is intentional and sculpted and something of your design. Like, who do you want to be? You can, you can be whatever, whatever you want. Uh, even you could deprioritize health and fitness if, if you have like some reason. I don't know what the argument could possibly be, but like... If you're really being you, yeah, yeah, people will feel that. Yeah, there's a lot that comes up hearing you go through that. Um, I mean, one is there is a lot of this sort of, you know, body shaming people. And now there's body shaming for guys that look fit, right. the guys that look good. Because people see that as, oh, well, that's toxic masculinity or that's intimidating yeah. or, you know, that's competitive. And they try to make these qualities into toxic masculinity. And what it's doing is it's it's promoting on wellness yep. it's promoting yep. sickness because if we're telling people that being fat is healthy well now we're lying yep. to people and one i mean if i drive if i walk down the road and i see somebody that's fit you immediately can tell that they take care of themselves when somebody take cares takes care of themselves and they have this energy that they prioritize their health and they have a higher standard for themselves that immediately gains the respect of men and that immediately gains attraction that causes attraction in women so by showing off yourself in the highest the most beautiful way for yourself it not only helps to earn the respect of others it helps other people that are beginning more attracted to you but it's also going to cause you to feel better about yourself and that's the best way to build confidence is to build yourself up and building our physique is the the easiest way for us to see 
the results of actually doing this work. It's difficult to see somebody's mental strength totally. or the emotional strength or their spiritual strength. It's the physical that we see the most. And that's what's rewarded when it comes to Instagram, social media. And a lot of times for the worst, because it's so hypersexualized now that you have some people that are pushing this hypersexualized culture and you have them, you know, in the same vein, we'll flip it back and then they'll criticize people for saying that being fat is sick. It's unhealthy. So it's it's so crazy, really though. Like, how can anyone surprise, how, can, but... how can anyone argue that being fat is anything but unhealthy? Like the, every, every I mean, I've been overweight. Have you been overweight? I think you have at some point or maybe not i've yeah i've, I've pushed the limits it was intentional okay. um okay. about six foot tall and i got up to 235 nice. and it was nice. not a healthy place to but, be but no. yeah like it's so crazy it's a total lie that people are propagating that uh a fit person is somehow creating like bad standards i'll tell you when i'm out this just happened today i was on a run today and this guy passed me running and he was fit as but like he just looked great and he had these long strides and he was pounding the pavement and pushing it hard and I could tell he was exhausted and he was just pushing it hard and that was completely inspiring to me and I was like well like there's just one more example of another guy getting it like it can be done and I don't know like it's totally motivating when you see other people that are um, e either ahead of you in the game or just pushing themselves in any way and imagine if everyone in the world, it was just the de facto thing that you're pushing yourself. Wherever you are, it's fine. Does it, you don't have to be elite. You can be at the very beginning stages. doesn't matter. But you are pushing yourself right. forward. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what level you are. You can be at any level. You can be, I mean, you could be in your teens yep. and be someone that really hasn't built themselves up. But if you're pushing it, if you're going after and doing the work and you're being disciplined and doing difficult things and being competitive, that's going to be rewarded because you're being proactive. You're putting in the work and that's an inspiration to, you, to, to others, others yeah. no matter what yeah. level. I mean, I see some of these guys in their seventies and eighties that are having complete body transformations. And that's incredible to see someone that has had multiple decades of their life living unhealthy and then they can completely transform 70 80 years into it and to see stuff like that it's truly inspiring and, and other people and that's the way we should look at yeah it. and other people who are at that stage Just look at it as inspiration rather than yeah as a threat yeah. or as as toxic in, in any way um but also if you're 70 and 80 and you and you've lived this way your whole life and then you see somebody else that that has done it then of course that just is one more data point that it can be done and I really wonder, like, what would happen if the majority of people were pushing themselves and they weren't doing the minimum? What would like maybe we'd be on Mars already or whatever, like maybe humanity would be like one <laughs> level up or, or 10 levels up or, or something. But it's uh, there. There's a dynamic that happens when you're around people that are being lazy. And uh, have you heard of this expression crabs in a bucket? Yeah. yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So crabs in a bucket. It, yeah, as soon as you start a is, is if you haven't heard it, as soon as somebody starts, uh, as soon as one of the crab, you don't have to put a lid on a on a bucket full of crabs because as soon as one crab starts crawling out of the bucket, all the other crabs will pull it back in. And sometimes we see that same. And I don't know if that's like, you know, a real story or whatever, but we do see that with human behavior, where uh, if one of your friends starts pulling ahead, a lot of times people like start taking them down. 
But instead, we should do the opposite. We should do the opposite and we should push them forward. And like, hopefully that creates a tailwind for us as well. Yeah, it's such a difficult thing because there's this, when somebody actually starts pulling ahead, it creates more of a a distance, a chasm. And it changes the relation that this person thought this person was in this box and they see them making progress. Well, then it then reflects that, you know, this person is not taking the actions that the other person is. So the comparison game. But something that I want to share with you that came up is uh, you familiar with Andrew Tate? Yep. yep. Tate's been getting a, a lot of attention oh, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So I heard him say a, a quote recently that really hit me really hard. And it was to the degree of it's a lot more difficult to be a brave person surrounded by cowards. Where if you flip that, if you're surrounding yourself with other men that are brave, it's a lot more difficult to be the coward totally. in a group of brave totally. men. And surrounding ourselves with other men, other people that are on that same mission, yep. that have those standards of being disciplined, of being great, of taking those actions, being brave to take actions, you surround yourself with men like that, that's going to be what helps you to level up. Where if you're surrounding yourself in a group of cowards and your friends are guys that are watching porn, playing video games, eating shit, not going to the gym, well, that's your standard and that's where you're going to stay. It's going to be a lot harder for you to actually move forward and take those actions because of your friends. So let's say... So that tape quote really that is such a great quote especially the inverse of it that if you're surrounded by brave men or courageous people you'll you won't be a coward like you won't want to be that one guy that doesn't you know like fight or put in max effort um so like let's say you're 15 you're in high school and all your friends just play video games none of them want to do anything but fortcraft or mine fart or whatever it is i don't know I don't know what they're called, but like whatever the video game of the day is, that's all your friends want to do. They just want to eat nachos and play video games. Like how, how, which is where I was in high school. And I guess that was like before YouTube and before, like there was like a lot of like this kind of guidance out there. Um, But even if somebody found that guidance, like how can people change their friend group? How can people find that when it's not just naturally part of their lives today? Oh, Caleb, that's a difficult thing, man. It's so difficult. And and I've been there too. I've been, you know, I was addicted to video games for a while. I've, you know, everything that we've talked about, I've also had struggles with the same thing through the years. And it's a challenging thing when, say, we have friends that we've had our whole lives or say for decades at a time, and they see us a certain way. And we've cultivated this connection with our friends it's very difficult to then say okay well i'm going to completely change the way that i wake up in the morning what i do in a day what i eat the places i go well all of a sudden that's not going to be aligned with your friend group if that's different and it's very difficult to make those changes and that's why so many people struggle to keep the same friend group and to make progress in Mm -hmm. life The fact of the matter is, if your friends are what's holding you back, if your friends like to party and drink and go out and play video games, and they're not interested in wanting to make progress in life, then it's time to find new friends and or at least go on limited association where maybe you see them every so often and you do things more intentionally. But I think that is the harsh reality. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in many of the men 
it is the harsh reality. There's really no way around it. Is some friendships are you outgrow your friends, and I've outgrown friends, I've outgrown relationships, and it happens a lot just because of the journey that I'm on. And the blessing is going on this journey of wanting to build more, create more, create new opportunities, have amazing conversations yes. like this. Is that this is where I get to meet new friends at a yes. new level and we all it comes back to we have a higher standard for ourselves that we hold each other up to whether that's just the words we use and the way that we communicate our behaviors and when we're aligned like that that's where we get to have deeper conversations and we can talk about things that are actually more important to our greatest good and where we want to go so it's just allowing you know the friends that don't support you to just and make the decision that, hey, I got to let that go. I got to let that fall away and to be okay with it and to accept yep. it. So many of us fight to keep relationships there that should really just, you know, let that go so you can take yourself to the next level. Yeah. And hopefully, like in, in the ideal world, somebody sees somebody trying and making progress and making changes. And like we talked about, that inspires them. But also, like we talked about, is that gap that gap between anytime you're trying to optimize yourself, if you're successfully doing it, even if it's a 1% optimization, apply 365 days, four times in four years, you're going to be really a different person. And that gap between you and who you were and the people you associate with is going to get wider and wider and wider. And if they're the kind of person to be threatened by that, instead of inspired by that, then, um, you definitely have to find new people. So I wonder if you're somebody then who's on the other side and you're seeing one of your buddies pull ahead and you're feeling jealous or envious or even spiteful and upset that they're doing this. Like, how do you recognize that those emotions are wrong? And even if you recognize like they're like, how do you change to be inspired rather than spiteful for other people's success? If you're in that boat. Yeah, it's difficult to do that on your own because it comes from a place of when we're constantly playing the comparison game, we're our, where we all should be our own number one player in the game of life, right? Yeah. So if I see if I see myself, I'm the number one player, and I see Caleb that he's making these moves, he's getting up to places where I want to be, and I'm not there yet. I could use that as fuel, and I could say, "All right, well, awesome, Caleb's doing success. Caleb's my boy." Now it's time for me to learn from Caleb on what I can do to then try to get ahead of Caleb or get up to where he is. So we can use that as fuel looking at competition. We can also, you know, it comes to recognizing where do we want to spend the most of our time? Meaning, how do you want to feel on a daily basis? What is the energy that you want to be in? Do you want to be in a state of peace, of joy, of, you know, pleasure? of getting things done or do you want to be in a state of scarcity in a st state of fear or anxiety jealous grief so if you want to be living at a higher vibe a higher vibration and a higher stage of consciousness and this isn't just woo woo stuff this is stuff we could measure we could talk about on a very tangible objective level but if you want to spend your time at a higher level at a higher vibration and a better more positive energy which that's yes i do and that's what a lot of my friends do. Well, then if you catch yourself being out of vibe, out of that energy, and you catch yourself being jealous or you catch yourself being fearful, be able to recognize those emotions. And this is what 
I like to get into with emotional health because with emotional health, we want to understand our emotions. We want to understand what we're feeling so that we can use that as information. Mm -hmm. If we're living life based off of our feelings and we're making decisions based off of our feelings of what feels good, that's not necessarily going to get us to where we want to be. So when we can be in tune with our feelings and actually understand what the definition of peace is or the definition of courage or fear or grief or apathy, when we can be able to identify these emotions and to understand the definition of what these emotions mean, that's when we can use that information to tell us that, hey, well, Caleb's doing this and I'm feeling jealousy or I'm fearing, feeling fearful that he's going to do what I wanted to do and feeling this sort of this gap or this scarcity, this victim mindset. When we can recognize how we feel and how something doesn't make me feel good, I can use that information and I can ask why and what would it take to feel good in that moment. And that's where we can start to shift and be grateful for Caleb and see him grow yes. and be grateful for this knowledge, this insight that I have that can tell me that okay, well, this is why I'm feeling this way. And in order for me to actually level myself up and to take these actions, these are the, the actions that I want to take in order to feel better. So it comes down to reframing that and it can be difficult to do unless oh. you, you know, have some tools to do that or it's, you have a coach. It's so training. wise though. It's but so wise to recognize that your emotions mm -hmm. are a source of information. I don't know that I've had that idea before. Um, I know I've thought like, you know, you pay attention mm -hmm. to your emotions, but actually looking them as a guide you're feeling something. What does that tell you about yourself? What does that tell you about what you want? What does that tell you about where you're like, what position you're in? Um, and, but you were just getting into the good stuff, the tools. Right. The tools. And, and so like thinking of the Stoics, yeah. you're probably familiar with the Stoicism and the Stoics, Marcus really a, a little bit, but I don't even know what is Stoicism. So, it's like, just be cool with whatever happens, no matter what, or like, what is, what is it? <laughs> Yeah, so stoicism, it's a, a philosophy of just sort of allowing and accepting the world the way yeah. it is. So not being too fluffy and saying, oh, well, life is amazing, lovey-dovey, this is great, everything's amazing and awesome. But it's also not catastrophizing and yeah. just, oh, this always happens to me, this is terrible, why does this always never work out? So it's getting into a grounded state where we can be emotionally grounded, where we can be emotionally controlled and recognize that, we're going to have these feelings. We may have feelings of overwhelming pleasure, ecstasy. We may have feelings of feeling apathetic, grief. To be able to recognize these feelings and be in the middle where we can be unperturbable, where we can stay grounded and actually have that emotional self-control. Mm -hmm. And stoicism actually will get a lot of hate because there's people that are really pushing men to becoming more in touch with their feelings and to be feelers and to live life in the state of, well, if it feels good, then do it and talk about your feelings. And, you know, women want to hear about your emotions. And <laughs> no, women may say that, but that's not the truth. There's a balance and it's finding that sweet spot that that's where we want to tap into. And in the past, I've had difficulty finding that sweet spot between going just a very hardcore stoic and just ignoring all feelings and being too much in my feelings where I was allowing my feelings to dictate my actions, how I feel, sharing that with women, etc. And we want to have a safe place to actually explore feelings and doing that with men in a tribe and brothers that can actually support you and you can be vulnerable with them in a way. 
there's a lot of strength yes. in that. And so we want to have that balance of understanding the feelings and using that as a tool. And that's a lot of what the Stoics speak to is being able to recognize what we're feeling, but also not letting that change our path, not letting that pull us off center towards our goals, our aspirations, our dreams. Because if you don't feel like going to the gym or if you don't feel like eating healthy and you make your decisions based off of that, you're not going to be successful. You're it's, not going to hit it's your It's using your emotions. And I'm the type of guy that likes so, to So you, goals. like, I love what you said about, um, well, I don't know if you made this exact comparison, but the idea is like, you should use your emotions as a source of information, but if they're so dominating that they're beginning to control the actions, then that's too far. That's too far. So you want to feel emotions and you want to be aware of them and you want them to guide you. But if they are um, in control and you're eating emotionally or you're um, maybe texting an old girlfriend that you probably shouldn't be texting or whatever it is that that you're doing, you're you're doing something like emotionally, um, then that's when you're not in control anymore. And so what are some of the tools that people right, can yeah. use? Like, um, you know, that w one thing that just does come to mind is if there ever is a time where you wake up and you're apathetic and I've had some rare occasions, I've had some rare occasions where this has happened to me, where I woke up and I was like, I don't want to get out of bed and this is just a hard day and this is a hard time and I'm super stressed and this is all just like not what I, you know, not the day I wanted to have or whatever. Um, and then you still get out of bed and you do a hundred pushups or you go run a mile or whatever it is that, you know, gets your brain going. You feel so good. You really are on top of the world. And it's because you did something actually difficult and you know, you did like, you know, it was hard for you to do that. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that, but, but again, that's just like yes, willpower to interject something there. Cause right. And this brings up a really important point, Caleb, because just doing these little actions will add up. So if, if you don't want to get out of bed and you're stuck in bed and it just feels like this huge obstacle to overcome, well, if you can just start with getting out of bed and taking one step, that one step leads to another. And it's those little micro steps forward. If getting out of bed is the yep. first task and the next task is to drink a yep. glass of water and then your next task is to yep. get in the shower. By the time you do this, you take these small micro steps forward. That's going to be what builds up momentum. It's building up that momentum through the compound effect that actually starts to make you feel like, cool, I'm checking off some little tasks first to build up some momentum. And from there, those little tasks start to give me the confidence and that momentum to take on bigger tasks. So being able to do almost like, like momentum stacking where we can stack these little actions that then add up into bigger it's, it's compound interest and it's that's the where same we can principle build and that compound interest compound you can, interest you can try to save a bunch of money in your life or you can uh try to build a lot of value within yourself or do, i mean i you should do both you should do both but um but you can compound right. well-being to say something more with that yeah, it, and it compounds on a, on a, you could look at it on a day-to-day -day basis and building that up with little micro wins on a day-to-day -day basis. But we tend to overestimate the things that we can accomplish from day-to-day -day, and we underestimate what we can accomplish yes. in a year. So if you can just take those micro 
moves forward from day to day and continue to do that day after day, it may not feel like you're making that much progress moving forward, but then three months, six months, 12 months goes by, all of a sudden you see that, holy shit, I've accomplished all of these things just by taking these small actions every single day. It all it's cumulative, up. and that's my favorite part. One of these uh, things that I've built over the years is just a habit tracker. And there's lots of habit trackers out there. I think one of the mm. differences of mine that I would like to build a product out of it someday, and maybe other people do this, I haven't done a lot of market research, but um, it's the idea is that your habits are cumulative. So in my tracker, every day I do something, I get plus one. But if I don't do it, it's not zero, it's minus one. And so some of my habits, uh, smoking weed, mm is like really just like 700 minus 700 points or minus the thousand points or whatever. And I've like dug myself in this hole and I just know that it's like, okay, well, this isn't my ideal. I know I don't want to be doing this forever. And look at this hole that you have to dig yourself out of versus like the opposite. Like there's some other habits that I've done really well on, like just being organized or whatever. It's like, okay, well, like now I have all this accumulation and a momentum around organization. And I, I think our habits are cumulative like that. If you're going to the gym every day, you're accumulating strength, you're accumulating cardio and endurance. Um, if you fail to do that every day, you're just getting, you're just getting older, you're just getting weaker. And so um, I think there is a cumulative effect of, of repeating these small steps every single day. And so... Right, it either can work yeah. out as... Yeah, I, I was going to say it can either work out as positive momentum where we're building up positive momentum, but we can also build up negative yes. momentum. So if you say you fall off one day, you start smoking weed one day, that then impacts your workout yes. the next morning, and then you yes. eat like shit, then we build up negative momentum. And it's a moment-to-moment -moment thing. Every day, every moment is an opportunity to either show up as your best self or less than your best self. And that is cumulative. It compounds over time. And so if you can show up every day in the best way in every moment-to-moment, -moment, then that's going to add up. And all of a sudden, this person that you want to become in this long, lofty goal years down the road, all of a sudden it adds up. And then you wake up one day and realize, holy shit, yes. I've accomplished it all. Yes. I guess I'm there. I guess I can just be that person yep. I wanted to become. And now and, I and set new goals. But I mean, and of course, just appreciating that kind of change. So what is the power of because I've heard you talk about the power of and I super agree with this, the power of visualization and um, kind of like the law of attraction. Like how do those ideas fit into self-improvement? Yeah. With visualization, it's really important that one, we have a clear image of the person that we want to become, whether that's as an athlete or as a father or just as a businessman, we want to be able to imagine or picture or be able to visualize what that person now, looks just like. Now, just to, just real, okay, example, okay, you're, you now, were about to give an example, but like when you say visualize, you mean like for real, see it in your mind's eye, like what would, if I'm 300 pounds, I want to see what I would look like at 200 pounds. And then, and then taking the time to try to like actually imagine what would I look like at that difference? Is that what you're saying by visualization? Okay. Right. And that's just the half of it. So it all begins with first, we, we want to have an image and just like a role model, it's the men that we see in our lives and the men, the women, the people who are around, we tend to look at them as our 
people that we yes. want to emulate our role models. And so if we have a vision of a role model and we tend to then take on those actions, behaviors, that in a way becomes the visual of which we then behave, we think, we emulate. Now, in order for success, if I want to become this, this type of person and that's who I want to be five years from now, I want to imagine and be able to picture what do I look like? How am I standing? Mm -hmm. How am mm -hmm. I walking? How do I communicate? What are the words that I use? And then that's just the first part. And the really power that comes is when we start to feel the emotions of what it feels like to be there. And that's the point that gets missed with the law of attraction, with manifestation. And that's the, the big point with like the book, The Secret. That's the missing point to The Secret is the feeling aspect of things. And Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this concept of this brain and heart coherence and our mind, our brain is where we're thinking about things, where we're imagining, we're visualizing, we're picturing. That's what the brain does. We want to imagine what we want to attract. The heart is all about feeling. And so when we can feel what it feels like to say, achieve the goal, to feel the joy or the ecstasy, the peace of achieving the success, we can tie that visual of the brain with the feeling of the heart. It's when those two come together that that's when manifestation, the law of attraction can really start to work. That's the missing key right there is the feeling with the visual. And we could really, I would love to go into deeper that. into that because it makes so much sense to me. I don't know why this is coming to mind and I don't want to bring up too much of a tangent because I do want to go deeper into that. But one of the reasons I think porn is bad is because sure it's unearned pleasure and it's like too quick and easy but also like if you're looking at like weird porn which everyone like who's really obsessed with porn ends up like going weirder and weirder with it that stuff gets in your head and you're like actually experiencing mm -hmm. to some degree what you're watching on the screen and the reason so i guess the the idea that's coming back to mind is this study from a long time ago, I have no idea what the source is, but they basically recorded the brain image of somebody playing golf. And then they recorded the brain image of somebody watching somebody play golf. And then they recorded the brain image of somebody thinking about playing golf after that knew how to play. And all the exact same circuits were lighting up. And so like doing the thing in some form was, uh, you could you could replicate the same you could activate the same neurons just by thinking about it and by watching it and by doing it so thinking watching and doing are literally laying new tracks in your mind and i think that is the element that i think provides like some science to this idea of the law of attraction and um and um and kind of the stuff that you're talking about that this stuff is real it really is impacting our minds when we when we visualize it really is it, it can be for the better yes. it can be for the worse and if somebody say looking at a bunch of porn and they're watching yes. the news and they're getting all this input that's getting them to visualize these say terrible grotesque vile actions they're all of a sudden they have these images going on in their head and then they have these words that associate with the images and the two primary ways that the brain communicates is through images and words. And it's very important that it's very critical that we understand the inputs that are around us and how that affects our brain, our cognition, yep. the way that we feel. 
And then that then becomes the, our image of what we think is the ideal, what we think is okay. And it's, it's such a big problem. Well, yeah, like even but like with the news, this if, is where we can start to. Well, take if our you're power just sitting back. there watching the news and everything mm-hmm. is war and famine and pestilence and it's all going to go to crap and blah 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 blah, that's in your head. That's in your head. That's how you feel. And if it's the opposite, where you're like listening to like inspiring podcasts or audiobooks or you're you're feeding your brain something that is actually going to improve it. Um, then then that's what your brain is filled with but again i love the idea that of of that visualization of um how are you standing what words are you using how are you dressed like how are you presenting yourself and if you can visualize Mm -hmm. that it's the same thing as the golfer uh or somebody or somebody thinking about playing golf you're going to be activating some neurons in your mind and making those stronger now what if you visualize that every single day for a week what if you did that every single day for a year it seems like that vision might become a reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of doing these practices, having these habits, these systems in place. And these are tools that I've used over the last six or seven years, everything from, you know, a decade ago when I was throwing javelin in the NCAA, where I was doing visualizations day after day, and I could literally feel feel myself hit a good throw, throwing a javelin in my mind. And it was such so an amazing would you practice? thing. I mean, that's just yeah, baller, by the way. You're throwing then. javelins. That's pretty cool. Like, how do you, how do you even be accurate with that? Yeah. Like, it's pretty yeah, cool throwing yeah, that's, some, that's some primal, <laughs> primal living. The, the, the cool thing is uh, with the javelin, you don't have to be oh. too accurate. You, you have this field that you throw into. It's when you're, you know, try to you know, take a goose out of the air, or get a moose have out of the ground. You've never hunted with a javelin. A little have bit you? more accurate. Oh, okay. At this point, no. <laughs> now, when you're just as a is a side thing, uh, <laughs> when you were uh, doing that, like, so you would actually visualize, like, um, first of all, was it distance? Is that what you were going for? If it wasn't accuracy, it was distance. Okay, gotcha. Distance. So, like, you would, so you would visualize right. the movement yeah. of your body and, like, what? Yeah, can you walk us through what you how that looked for you to improve your performance through visualization? Yeah. So the javelin is a very technical sport. So there is an approach where say over 20 to 30 feet, you run down a runway and then you have these steps where you're doing these crossover steps followed by a kind of like a crow hop. And then you slam your legs into the ground and throw this spear as far as you can. So it's very technical in that you're running with a spear down a runway and then you do a crow hop and you throw. So you want to build up as much momentum as possible. You jump and then you slam the brakes on like you're hitting a wall and you throw that javelin. And so with those steps, what I would do is I would visualize myself standing at the runway, starting the steps. And I had a count of steps. So I counted out my steps and I knew very intentionally that I'm going to do six steps here. And then I'm going to do six crossover steps, hit my penultimate, and then slam the leg down and throw. It was that so structure. It was a very deliberate six steps forward, very structured. Not as, you know, I grew up playing baseball and thrown as a pitcher and was able to throw pretty hard as a pitcher. And then to translate that into throwing a javelin, throwing a spear, completely different technique. Yeah, I have a, a strong arm, but the technique was very different. And I just picked up the javelin in college. So it, 
and coaching myself through how to learn the javelin as my own coach came down to reading forums, watching YouTube videos, having playlists of a lot of European javelin throwers that I could then watch repeatedly, like hours and hours of watching wow. essentially film to the point where I would then visualize myself hitting the steps yes. just like they would. And then to feel that and to actually tie that feeling. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I was doing this before I had really even dove down into the power of the subconscious mind visualization and the way that we visualize and feel things together. Were you, were you coached to do that amazing. or like how did I, I don't think I've ever really used visualization effectively. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely like thought of like, Oh, that would be cool if I achieve this goal <laughs> that that might be how that looks like, but not like, okay, I know the exact sequence of steps. I know just where I'm going to jump. I know what it feels like to push my body and then launch the javelin. Like n never, never that structured. So how did you even think to do all that? Like at that young age or like when you were in school? Yeah, it was really interesting because I knew that visualization and watching films was important. I knew that we wanted to watch the way that others are throwing and break down technique. I didn't realize the power of watching video after video and getting so many repetitions of visualization at the time. I knew that it was helping me out and I could see the results, but I didn't have any say guidance or information or research to show that it was working. It's been since, you know, that was 10 years ago. And now we have the heart math Institute looking at, you know, the way that we think and feel and brain heart coherence. We have more research out there on visualization and the power of having a clear vision for where we, where we want to go in order to, be able to take steps to now get there. so it was like very intuitive for you so it sounds like um to begin this stuff um and how and and how have you has your practice evolved now that you have like more hard science and hard data around around these tools yeah so it became more evident to me as i continued to grow after sports and then getting into my career as a professional in healthcare and seeing how I really didn't understand or have a vision for where I wanted to go in life. I trained as a physical therapist. I graduated from physical therapy school. And honestly, at that point, I wasn't too excited to start practicing as a physical therapist. I knew that I was destined to do something greater in life and I had big aspirations. I just didn't know where that was going to take me or what direction I wanted to go. And so it came with starting to get an idea on, you know, what do I like? What do I value? What do I want to see myself doing in 10 years from now? And what I started to do was to start to journal and to get clear on who is it that I want to become? Where do I see myself down the road in the way that I work and the way that I make money and where I live? And just starting to get clarity from, say, the age of 25 up into where I am now at 33 of seeing how this vision has changed. And especially these last couple of years, I've gotten much more clear on who is it that I want to be? What is the lifestyle that I want? What are the businesses that I want to have? And so creating my business of, say, holistic health coaching and helping men with their aesthetic body and health, I created the business Primal Rx 
primal prescriptions. And so that's my sort of holistic health coaching business to really help bring a tribe of men together to become the best versions of themselves. Then I also saw that I want to have a business where I can help men, women, people with their mind, their mental health. And so me and a partner had created a business called Powerful Subliminals, where we create subliminal audios, meditations, positive affirmation music to help people to rewire their subconscious mind and start to inspire them to do more positive things from focus, discipline, sleep, stress relief, and starting to facilitate more healthy mental health strategies. And these are just things that have become more fruitful in these last couple of years as I've gotten more clear on what is actually possible and to see what's actually possible that really can open things up into awesome. There's so many opportunities out there. Just which direction do I want to go? Because we can do anything. We, yes. we just can't do everything yes. at the same time. It's just what can I do right now? And where do I see myself going and being able to visualize that and understand that it is a journey. It's a process. And so I have a practice of journaling every day so I can continue to see who do I want to show up as today? What would make today great? What are the values of who I want to be today? And doing that day after day, that then adds up and my vision for myself and my life will change over time. But at least I'm seeing that vision. And as I get further down the road towards that vision, it's changing because I'm making progress yes. in that direction. And so it's a journey of life and it's just doing the work day. It's after doing day. the work day after day. And you know, there's no glamor to doing the work because it's really just, I, it's a grind. Sometimes, sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's somewhere in between, but, um, there is just no substitute for the labor and the labor can be, uh, actually like maybe you have an idea for a program or, uh, some content you want to create or something like the work is actually bringing that idea and making it real, bringing it out into the world and publishing it. Like I, I think a lot of people have a lot of great ideas, but they just don't actually get them out into the real world. And I really wonder if I've been, uh, have missing something with not like intentionally visualizing and coming up with, well, I think there's two things that you said that are really smart. One is you're journaling to define where you want to go. So your roadmap is being determined every single day and you can reflect back and see, well, this is where I thought I was. And then I made some progress and now I see, I want to go here. And you have that whole narrative and that whole, um, idea as a practice that you do every day. So now you have a really good idea of where you want to go. And then if you're coupling that with like a vision and you're, I've, I, again, I love the idea of like, well, don't just have a vision. What does that mean? Like, how are you standing? How are you dressed? How, what does your face look like? What is the expression? Like all of these things combined really as much detail as you can to get those neurons activated. And it seems like if you do that every single day, that's definitely something, uh, I want to try is like, um, yeah, like let me visualize what it's like to, uh, I don't know, like squat 300 pounds like what would it actually look like with like 315 on the bar and like how is that going to feel different than 275 or whatever and like really getting those neurons firing as much as you can and, and really, really feeling, feeling it that's it. the other part yeah, that's really the other part. adding the feeling yes that's, that's the key point yeah that's the missing key that so many people miss 
definitely. Hey, can we pause for a second? We were talking about visualization and, and connecting the emotional part of it. And I was thinking that the emotional part would kind of automatically come through being a good visualizer, I guess. But is there a technique that you have to try and get the heart more connected to the mind in that, in that way? Yeah. So it really comes down to first being able to find the becoming aware of our thoughts. And so if we can just start to observe our thoughts and become aware of the things that we think and to really pull ourselves back and we can become the watcher. Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now calls it the watcher. And so when we can start to watch and observe our thoughts, that's where we can create that disconnect between identifying with our thoughts. So many people get into a trap of identifying their feelings as who they are. And so if I say, instead of saying, I am feeling depressed or I'm feeling fearful, Dude, say, I am such fearful. That's a key distinction. That's, that's totally, the wrong thing totally. to do. It's such a key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because people start to identify as their feelings, and that's a bad place to be. And so our feelings are going to change, and we get to observe our feelings and use them as a tool. We don't want to identify as the feelings. So when we can just observe as the watcher and start to identify the feelings as they come up, we can then dissociate from identifying from our thoughts is that, and our feelings. Is that- so that's number one is just being, is that part of a meditation practice, um, for you as well, or like creating that disassociation between your thoughts and your feelings? Yes. Yes. So I've I've done a variety of different meditations, guided meditations. We actually have um, guided meditations on our subliminal audio app for powerful subliminals where we're guiding people through just becoming a present in the moment and just becoming aware of just the sensations, the sights, the sounds that are going on around us in the environment. And when we can just start to breathe and become aware of our breathing, we pull our energy back into ourselves. And when we can do that, and we can just start to become accepting of the present moment and be aware of the present moment, that's when we can start to notice where the thoughts are going and we can start to pull up different feelings. So a a cool way to do this is to just simply sit and to put all of your attention on your breathing. When thoughts come up, we want to observe the thoughts and we can identify the thoughts just as if we would see, say, a leaf floating in a river downstream. We can observe the leaf, we can look at the leaf, and we can watch that pass by just like we can see thoughts kind of bubble up to the surface. We can notice the thought, we can observe the thought, and then we can decide, am I going to reach over and pick up the thought and start to entertain the thought? Or am I going to just observe it and watch it continue to float down the stream? And with meditation, we want to just observe it and allow things to float down the stream. Yeah, yeah. letting, letting things, things may um, pop up. I, I, it's such an important thing to the difference between I am afraid and I am feeling afraid. I am uh stressed or whatever it is, anything, anything, any, any negative emotion that you could be feeling. Um, one is defining it as who you are. The other is just looking at the leaf on the river is just noticing it. And it's fine. The leaf's on the river. doesn't matter, you know? Um, but, but if you identify it with something, 
that's where you get these people and they're just like, oh, I'm just an anxious person. I couldn't ever do public speaking. Well, you definitely can't if you keep telling yourself that for sure. You know, like, but if it's the opposite and you're just noticing the, that, um, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling uh, anxiety or maybe you're feeling excited. Maybe that's, you know, maybe you're confusing your emotions. What you really are is just anticipating, you know, and you're. Um, but, but anyway, I, I think my main point was just that, that yeah, I love well, the idea of the distinction between identifying as and noticing different emotions. Yeah. And, and to your point, our feelings get misidentified all the time. Somebody that maybe they may be excited, say they're excited to go meet new people and be in this group or do this event. They may feel these sort of sensations that may make them feel excited. They may feel anxious. They may feel stress because they're all feelings that can be confused right. with being excited. Just like we can confuse the feeling, the sensation of being hungry with right. being thirsty. So many people will go for food instead of realizing, shit, totally. I haven't drank any water today. Maybe I need to drink some water. We confuse these feelings. So when we can just start to observe and identify and understand what, what these different feelings actually mean and what the definitions are, instead of just repeating things other people say and using yeah. words people yeah. don't understand, it's such an important thing for us to actually understand the words that we're using and, and what they mean so we can communicate clearly with not only ourselves, which is number one, but also with the world yeah, around yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. It's about getting all of those things in as much harmony as possible. So this is kind of, um, I'm, I'm really taking a, a lot away on the power of visualization and emotions and staying on top of like creating an ideal, which is where you want to go or who you want to be or whatever it is, trying to visualize that in as much detail as possible, connecting that to a real emotional experience. This is how it would feel to be, um, you know, like whatever, whatever it is that you're visualizing. And then, um, so all that's really powerful, but I know you have other tools. Uh, one of the things that I forgot to mention or talk about is, uh, the role of psychedelics in all of this. Um, I think you've had some direct experience and I, I wonder if you'd be willing to share anything on that. Yeah, I almost mentioned it earlier. Psychedelics can be a powerful tool to help tap in on a deeper level into the feelings that we have or to observe the thoughts that we have. And if somebody is new to psychedelics, it's important to approach yes. these things with caution and to hold yes. them with a level of respect because you want to be sure that you're one with people that you trust that can be there to support you. And two, that you're mentally prepared and you understand what can go right with psychedelics, but what can go wrong. So psychedelic, psychedelic, it's <laughs> psychedelics. It's a delicate thing that we want to handle because it can, hold great power and it can be a powerful tool but it can also cause us to have amazing experiences but also can have one of the worst experiences of your life and so with psychedelics it's a great way that we can pull our energy into ourselves and just tune into the greater consciousness as a whole and this may start to sound a little bit more woo woo but 
what this does, there's so much more research that's being done with psychedelics and using it for, say, trauma, PTSD, for anxiety, and using this in a controlled setting, they're finding that just two or three sessions of using psychedelics in an appropriate setting with an appropriate person there to guide you can actually heal decades of trauma in just two to three sessions. So there's great power in these tools. And I've used, you know, a variety of psychedelics over the years from say using mushrooms, which is one of my favorite ones to utilize to all the way to using ayahuasca and going on a retreat in Peru a couple of years ago with a tight group of brothers who wow. were on a similar journey. And there's been insights along the way of, you know, everything from the mushrooms and building businesses to, you know, more of the mental emotional processes within myself or just the way that I visualize and I see myself. And it's been very helpful in getting clarity on the type of person that I want to be. And we can really explore more on psychedelics. Uh, my, so I, I, do have I a, don't have a, I don't have a, a ton of experience. experience um, I've had one mushroom trip that was uh, really a high dose. Um, and then another one that was like a mid dose. But the, my first kind of thing that comes to mind when discussing psychedelics is got to have respect for them. You got to have the utmost level of respect because it's not a, it's not like a party drug it's not a recreational thing and it's an opportunity to gather wisdom to learn to grow and you should prepare yourself as much as you can for the experience i think uh anyway especially if you're like going um into a, a deep experience but i would love to hear about your trip uh specifically to peru and trying ayahuasca which I've never tried, but um, I've heard of, and I don't know how similar it is to um, to mushrooms or, or actually that much about it. Yeah, so mushrooms and ayahuasca, they're similar, but they're different. So with mushrooms, your experience is typically gonna last for about six hours, where with ayahuasca, it may last up to upwards of 12, 24 hours. So, the experiences can be similar in that you're into an altered state where you tend to be more opened up. So it can make us more vulnerable to inputs, whether that's the inputs of our environment or the people that we're around. So you want to be sure to protect yourself because when you're opening yourself up, you're more influenceable by your environment because your mind is opened up to a place where it's absorbing more sensory inf information whether that's of the environment, it can also be of your internal environment. So if you're in a place where you're having a difficult time or there's just too much going on that can't be controlled and it's just a lot of chaos, that may not be the right time to do mushrooms or to use ayahuasca. You wanna be in a place where you can feel safe within yourself and feel safe in an environment. And for me, it's always been in nature and having a degree of um, safety and be in nature and be with friends where we have an intention and the intention with any of these substances is so powerful. And that's mm -hmm. truly number one is whether it's with mushrooms, ayahuasca, or even weed, you can use marijuana as a psychedelic 
it just comes down to the intention. Are you using weed to escape and to mask as a bandaid for emotional pain? Or are you using weed with the intention of being, being very creative on this project and feeling within yourself or that intention whatever is it is, so it important. all comes back it's to so the intention. Important. And so, mm -hmm. and it's, it's so important and that's just not with psychedelics, but it's with everything. The more that we can bring intention back into the world, the more intentional lives that we'll lead and then we'll make decisions and we'll take actions that are actually aligned with well, what we and to, it's like you said with uh, the um, or maybe you didn't mention set and setting, but we hear that a lot with psychedelics is set and setting. But I think what brings mm -hmm. a lot into that is your intention. You're going to carry that intention with you through the trip. Now, what if you're taking mushrooms? You're like, well, this guy had mushrooms and he had this great result and I want that, too. And so I'm just going to, like, go take a bunch of mushrooms and hope for the best. Versus like I have sacrificed and prepared for any knowledge that I may receive and I'm going in this willing to have a, a, a potentially bad experience or whatever happens, I'm okay with. I just accept it and I'm just going in with as much love as I can and as much true love and good faith and good offerings and good vibes possible. Um, and, and even then you might still have like a scary encounter or whatever, but, um, yeah, like your intention matters a lot. It matters a lot. It matters a lot. And, and to build off of that, the intention is so different between those two scenarios that you named somebody that is taking it out of, Oh, my buddy had this, I'm going to do this so I can get a similar experience versus, I want to show up with the vibration of love and see what comes up and just accept and use this experience as a learning lesson, an opportunity to gain knowledge from a teacher. And if we look at what is the vibration of those two people, the person that's doing it because of their friend did it and they had this experience, it's almost more of a state of an energy of mm -hmm. say competition mm -hmm. or pride rather than being in a vibration of being open, love, being joyful. So it's the vibration of what you're showing up at, the energy that you're showing up at, Carry will then through. show up a hundred thousand times more whenever you take that substance. So the psychedelics are an amplifier. They're an amplifier of where you are, but it's also a teacher if you're open to it. And if you're not open to it and you're closed off, take you for a ride. State, <laughs> you're going somewhere. You might have a, one of the worst nights of your life <laughs> and you might learn something afterwards or you might not. You, yeah. You I don't know how anyone could repeat after a bad trip. I think the worst part of my trip was I, so just to describe from what I remember, this was 2018 and I think I had like three and a half uh, grams, something like that. And in the beginning, love was such a clear theme where I could just everyone in my family and my friends, even my coworkers, I remember my coworkers, they were coming to my mind. And I was like, I love that guy. I mean, I really want him to do well. I really want good things for him for real. And uh, then it kind of like um, went through some things with myself and like a lot of my own kind of like stuff came up. And then my darker side was, I don't even like to talk about it too much because it's, it's been years and it still makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like if your bones could feel nauseous, that's the best way I've found to describe it. But like, if like in your mm. bones, you could somehow feel sick in your bones. 
And it wasn't related to anything in particular. It was just this feeling. And that echoed with me for weeks afterwards. And it took me years to, even with how positive it was and how many good lessons I got, and it was an amazing transformative experience for me. But even then, just with the kind of like other half of the trip, or it wasn't even half, but like the other portion of it, um, it still made me be like, okay, this is super serious. And it was maybe four years before I ever tried it again, which is to say, yeah. Yeah. Really? Wow. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. It's, I'm sure, an uncomfortable feeling in the moment. And then for it to then, you know, be present for some weeks afterwards, I wonder, was there anything that came up after, like, reflection from that journey? Was there anything that came up of, like, oh, it was this thought or, you know, any ex- insights that you gained from that? Not so much from the, the negative side. The negative side just kind of stayed with me. And it really was, like, I would, but I didn't even want to call it negative because it's, like, calling, like, um... I don't know. It's like calling a snake that bites you negative or whatever. It's like, that's a snake. Its job is to bite people or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's like, it it wasn't negative. It was just, yeah. Yeah. It was just like, um, part of the experience. And, but it, it was transformative and I don't talk about it lightly because, um, if ever anyone was to do it, you just gotta, you really have to bring the right intentions in. And if your intention is to learn and to grow and to heal and to discover, and even if it's just curiosity, I think that's a great intention, but, um, that matters. That matters a lot. So, so can you tell us, uh, anything you're willing to share about your, your time in Peru and with ayahuasca and especially like how that was with other people? Cause I've only ever experienced these things alone. And I imagine it'd be totally different in a group. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And, you know, my intention going into it was very much I'm going here to learn and I'm open to whatever comes up because I expected that there's going to be some more challenging things come up. There may be some very positive things come up and just to be willing to accept and observe whatever comes up and to be with that. And so that was my intention going into it. And the way that the retreat looked is there was a group of about 10 of us that are all really close friends of mine that were on this journey of self-development, personal growth, and wanting to hold each other to a higher standard and live life at the highest level. So all men in their between 30 to age 40, we had done some retreats together in the past of just like going into Colorado in the mountains and being very intentional around the way that we show up. And so this was the, say the third time that we had come together. And this was the time when we were actually going to Peru to sit with ayahuasca, which was the first time that we were actually going to be using plant medicine together. And so we went to this retreat center and, um, in Peru in the sacred Valley called, um, Sagrado de Um, Camino, El Camino de Sagrado. And we went to this retreat center and it was an amazing retreat center tucked into the mountains of Peru. And we're in the sacred Valley. We have our place and it's this retreat center. That's beautifully artistic. There's art all over the place. So there's inspirational art. And, um, so we had this there was a couple of different rooms that were used for sitting with ayahuasca and 
the place that we used for all of our ceremonies, which we did three ayahuasca ceremonies and one San Pedro ceremony, we did these ceremonies for ayahuasca in a yurt. And so there was a yurt, so it's a, a circular building, basically a circular tent. And at the front of the tent would be our shaman. And so we were all circled up, sitting in a circle, so you would see other people if if there was light, but it was dark. So it was dark, it was in candlelight. And so the days that we did ceremony, it was very intentional. There was a very strict dieta, a diet that we followed while we were there. Because you want to be clear, you want to be light, you want to have yourself in as pure of a state as possible so that you can have as positive or you know, the experience that you're seeking to get the knowledge that you're there to get. And so there was three ceremonies. The first ceremony on the, the first day was a sort of a lighter dose. The second ceremony was a heavier dose. And then the third ceremony was a little bit lighter of a dose. So the, the ceremony in the middle was a little bit more intense. And so going into this ceremony, it's all very intentional. And so going into this with an intention, we go around the room and the shaman may ask what your intention is for the ceremony. And then after that, you go up and then you grasp the cup of ayahuasca, which is in a drink. And then you drink down your portion, you bow, and then you go Very back vulnerable. to Very vulnerable. You'd have to be and so, I mean, this is with your, your uh, friends. And so you were comfortable, it sounds like. But um, you, yeah, it sounds like a very vulnerable experience so far. A very, very much a, an experience right, where right. you get to be open and uh, there was more people than oh. just our friends there. So there was other people from all across the world that could come as well. We had about 10 friends and then there was maybe five or so other people that had come in from, um, from all across the world, all over the place. And so we got to meet some new friends along the way. And with that, it's, you know, you don't control who else is there with you. So I was trying to you know, sit next to somebody that I was there in our friends group just to you know, surround myself with energy that I knew that I could trust and that I could be there with. And it was very interesting because you're sitting in the dark, right? And so uh, with psychedelics, a lot of times there's a waiting game where you say eat the mushrooms or the LSD or drink the ayahuasca and then you basically sit and you wait and you just start to observe and start to notice, did it kick in? was that it? Am I seeing something? Am I, am I tripping yet? And so you start to have this, these sensations of, is it working yet? And so we're sitting in the dark, you drink your ayahuasca and you go back and you sit and you're sitting, you have no perspective of time passing by. You can hear the shaman up at the front singing songs. There's music playing, there's musicians there. So we're just listening and you know, you're there with yourself in the dark, nobody's talking and you're just observing and just noticing what comes up. And it was a very interesting experience. And I'll share the, the first day, the first experience that I had, it wasn't until like midway through the experience that I started to just notice, I noticed some visuals coming through, meaning that I was starting to see images in my, my mind's eye coming through and I had this sense of connection with these beings and I started to see these heads that would come through. And 
at first it was a little unsettling because a lot of the beings that I saw had these horns and I'm like, all right, well, this is interesting. Like, were your eyes closed these beings that or were they open? open? Like were, were they part of your environment? Are, okay. Okay. Eyes were closed. Okay. Yeah. The, the eyes were closed and it could have been in part the art that was there at the retreat center that was, could have been provoking some of these things, but also, um, it was really interesting. So there's a lot of thoughts that came up with it. And the point that really connected with me on that was I wasn't too sure whether or not that these beings that I was seeing, were they positive? Were they negative? Were they my friends? Were they my enemies? I didn't know in the moment. And so it was very much like an extremely neutral experience where I didn't know what these things were there to tell me. And what I realized is I thought, Okay, well, what if I just send the beings love? What if I just send them good energy? As soon as I did that, their lips that. curled up like a slight smile. It was like, wow, all I had to do was send them some love. And then there was this smile that came up. And so that was the first part of that experience. And as that experience went on, you know, I continued to have those visuals of the visions of the beings. And, uh, you know, there's, I won't go into too much of like trying to break down of like understanding what do the horns represent. And to me, horns, I've always had a fascination with horns and horned animals and horned beings and creatures. So that could have been in part with it. But what was really interesting with that experience was I had this realization or this more intense vision that came afterwards of this really extreme level of nature. And it was very difficult to describe, but it seemed like I was in a rainforest and that I could see and feel all of the plants, all of the creatures, everything in this rainforest was alive. It was moving. It's like the, the plants had personalities. I could see the blood pumping awesome. through the parts of the plants, just like we have blood. There's fluid that goes throughout plants. So it was really amazing to have this, this vision, this connection to feeling this connection with nature and it really hit me like wow like this is always here nature is truly alive just like we're alive nature is alive just like we have these systems nature has these systems just like we breathe in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide nature breathes in carbon dioxide expels out oxygen and so to have this really reassuring undisputable feeling that we are nature and that we get to maintain this connection and that really solidified a lot of my beliefs and philosophy behind this connection with nature it was i mean it was so vivid that it was like afterwards after we left ceremony we went to the kitchen we had some snacks and as soon as i had a couple bites of a snack it was like boom everything just was amplified intensified again I went to lay down and was, I couldn't get away from the visions of these like extreme amounts of nature. And I had my eyes open. I was looking around the room. I was there with a couple of my friends. And as soon as I would close right my eyes, it. it was like wow. <laughs> the nature was back. And it was like, oh, it was, and it was so incredible to see like, just like we could open up our body and we can look at the, the fibers of the muscles and the blood and the different synapses and neurotransmitters. It was that same sort of level, but I could see that in the, that the perspective of nature. That is incredible. It, it was just so amazing. I it's, mean, it's difficult to I describe. love hearing, um, 
I yeah. love hearing about these experiences because it just makes me wonder what it is. I don't, I don't know. Some people think like uh, your mind is tapping into like another reality and that these beings are there and it's an alternate dimension. I think it could be. I have no idea. I mean, it's weird enough that it could be. But um, I had the same experience where it didn't matter if my eyes were open or closed. There was no escaping the 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 trip. And it, again, it wasn't. Well, I guess it was kind of a bad thing at the time because I remember feeling like, oh, I'm a little overwhelmed. Let me close my eyes and that will relax me. But I closed my eyes and all the same colors were there. <laughs> it's like just as vibrant. And so it was kind of similar <laughs> in that way. Um, so that was one day. And do you think that was that pre or post Alaska? Uh, moving to Alaska. So this was I was in Alaska for about a okay. year and a half at that point. This So this was the end of 2019. It was, this was I was just wondering if that nature connection had any, um, like if that was part of the impetus for moving, uh, moving there. Um, so actually it was right after that, uh, experience in Peru that I wrote the, my book, uh, eat, move, sleep, the three habits for a long and healthy life. Like it, it was undisputable to me at that time that like this is information that it's so simple that eating, moving, sleeping and alignment with how we would in nature as our primal prescription is. Can, this can is we talk about that? that? People, need to know. people can find so that on really Amazon, by the way, that, I have it up right here. Um, it's called the three habits for a long and healthy life. Eat, move, sleep. Um, so this was influenced by your trip to Peru. Right. Yeah. It was right after the trip to Peru that I got back and I felt I need to put this out there and it's simple. It's very, it seems very instinctual, intuitive information and it is, but so many people neglect it. And just by simply mastering these foundational principles of we're nature beings, our roots are from nature and we need to maintain that connection with nature and how we eat, how we move and how we sleep. And if we don't do at least that, then we're going to have a hell of yeah, a time yeah. trying to be healthy. So, um, now why why eat move sleep i mean those categories make sense to me i don't know what other ones i would choose but like was that i i guess what i'm asking is were they connected to specific parts of the trip or was this like kind of a packaging not a packaging but a, a condensation of knowledge that you already had and then the trip to peru inspired you to publish it or was this knowledge generated um during through the experience Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's, I think what comes up for me is just realizing after the experience in Peru that it seemed at the most simplistic level that in the way that we eat, the foods that we eat and how much we eat and the way that yeah. we eat is so important. And simply by eating healthy food, eating real food and eating it in an appropriate quantity, that. I mean, it's a dysfunction in our eating that is obesity. causing yeah. the primary problem of obesity, of heart disease, diabetes. Like it's a problem. It's of overeating, eating especially just because of eating and taking it. It's it's especially overeating. Yeah, it's way too much quantity. And then it's a, a low quality of foods that then impacts the way that our hormones. Is there what, what, the di what, what diet are you following right that now? Was the along eating. those lines, by the way. 
So I follow mostly a, a sort of a paleo diet. So I keep my carbohydrate intake a little bit lower. And in this point in my life, it's mostly a high protein diet. And then I'll divide up my fats and my protein or my fats and my carbohydrates. Uh, it depends on, you know, where I am in my level of performance and physique, um, like on a training day, like today is a very heavy, intense training day. So I'm going to be doing a little bit higher carbohydrates afterwards, where say if I'm going to go and hike in the mountains and do a 15 mile hike this weekend, then I may shift over into more of a sort of like a modified ketogenic diet where I'll do like a higher dose of fat and protein in the morning and keep my heart rate a little lower so I can sustainably go for more like a longer endurance hike. That's interesting because sort of like some people talk state. about using so carbs it's, to it's power those kind of endurance events um, and you're powering them through ketones, through fat. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's debatable. Right. I mean, we all work a little differently, but not too much differently. We're very similar. And I think the, the important the distinction is if, so when I'm talking about going in hiking in the mountains, I'm looking to keep my heart rate consistent, consistently around like 111 beats a minute up to like 115 beats a minute. So I'm keeping my heart rate between that range. And if I stay in that range, I can sustainably continue to move forward at that intensity without needing to ingest carbohydrates or protein because I'm at a lower level that I can sustainably Did, produce is that trial and error. How do you even figure that out fat for fuel? A little bit of trial and error, but just understanding the three different energy systems of the body and how we use food. So we have the, the energy system of the phosphocreatine system, which is readily in available ATP that's in the muscles. We also have the, the glycol, the glycolytic system, which is using glucose, carbohydrates, glycogen, and that's using primarily is that glucose, in your blood or in your, like, and then we have, where's that stored in your liver also, I think has some glycogen, the blood, and the muscles. liver, and then also in muscles. So we have muscle glycogen. And then the, the third energy system would be oxidation. So the Krebs cycle where you're breaking down oxygen and using oxygen for fuel. And that comes with using, you know, fat, fat oxidation, using oxygen to then produce ATP. So those there's those three different primary energy systems. And depending on the intensity of exercise will determine where the body's going to get that energy from. And if it's a more higher intensity exercise activity, I may need to use glycogen, the glycolytic system where we're using carbohydrates because mm. my body needs energy now really fast because if it's very intense and it's really starving for energy that's fast and carbohydrates are the fastest way that we can get that energy. Where if I'm doing more of a slow, steady, a paced activity where my heart rate's a little bit lower, well, then I can tap more into using oxygen, using fat oxidation for my energy. But if I'm going at like a high intensity, so say if I'm doing an ultra marathon and for that ultra marathon, my heart rate's going to be up to say 140 beats a minute that whole time. Well, it may be a marathon of a long distance, but that's a high level of, that's a high intensity heart rate to be at. So your body's going to need carbohydrates in order to function at that high level of intensity that whole time. That's one degree of 
of using energy. But for me, I like to go out into, I mean, there's going to be days where I may do sprints and intervals while I'm trail running in the mountains. But a lot of times I like to pace it and I'll use those days as a way for me to strategically tap into in a, intermittent fasting, tap into using ketones as energy. I may use a ketone product or I may use some branch chain amino acids. Wow, that's that dialed time. in. So it just depends on the level of intensity and what energy system that I plan to use. If, if I have more body fat that I want to tap into and really lean up, then I may focus on keeping my heart rate between that 111 to 115. Now, if you are going to eat carbs, um, what are your sources? What are your go-to carb sources? Yeah, go-to carb sources looking primarily for things that have fiber. So we're looking for, say, I use rice, long grain rice, jasmine rice. Um, and I'll use those primarily in periods after, say, uh, a workout where I may need to really fuel up. There's slower acting carbs and there's faster acting carbs. Uh, a lot of the slower acting carbs, like I mentioned with the rice or maybe some sweet potatoes, um, Fruits can be great. A lot of times I may use most of my carbohydrates after a workout where I'll ingest it in a shake, where I'll use a greens powder. I may use Organifi. Right now I'm using the doTERRA greens powder, which is a really good product. And using more carbohydrates after an intense workout because my body's in a state where it's starving for more energy. It's in a state where I can spike my insulin and then shuttle in a lot of glucose. So that's a prime time to really no, no post workout actually post workout and when because no, I would almost think it would be pre workout like right, you'd want to eat like some rice and then go for a hike but um, I, I'm not I don't know too much about it but it depends so yeah so the way that I like to to look at things some people like to have a little bit of food in their belly when they go into workout and some people like to go in fasted or on an empty stomach. Each person's a little different. What I've found is to just make it as simple as possible and just to look at it on a day-to-day -day basis. So for example, if we're looking to say, if I'm gonna ingest 100 gram of carbohydrate today, as long as I get it throughout the day at some point, then I'm gonna get 80% yeah. of the results, just like the Pareto principle. Of the benefits, yeah. Right. You're going right. to get the, the results from 80% of the action. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to really dialing things in at an optimal level, which I really like to do that, I'd like to you know, work with people that are really wanting to take it up to the next level to get those one or two extra percentage points. That's when meal timing becomes more and more important because of our hormone timing is also tied to circadian rhythm and the the types of foods that we eat and even the percentage of macronutrient composition in those meals will impact our hormones so for example if after a workout i have a really intense workout and i want to be in a state of being able to focus and continue to do cognitively taxing tasks for say six hours after a workout what I may decide to do is to eat a meal that's more dominant in protein and fats and to have no carbohydrates. And the reason for that is because my body, my hormone profile after eating carbohydrates is going to change.
as soon as I eat carbohydrates, it's going to spike my insulin, it's going to pull blood sugar into the muscles, and it's going to change my hormone profile, it's going to help me to relax, it's going to make me into more of a state of kind of feeling numb. Well, that's not conducive to me getting more work done. So I may decide to delay that carbohydrate intake until after I get my work done. And do you use any, it, it sounds, it sounds the, like you generally then the avoid, of, um, you know, stuff we know is unhealthy junk food, uh, and most like breads and sugars and stuff. What about, what's your take on artificial sweeteners? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I use them. I feel like I shouldn't, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like so. I hear, I hear multiple takes on it. It's tough to avoid them. That's the thing is they're everywhere. And, you know, I tend to recommend using real food as much as we can, meaning real food is food that That's our grandparents would recognize as food, a real food. It isn't necessarily going to have a nutrition label on it. So I've never seen, Boom. uh, a banana or a moose or blueberries that. that have nutrition labels on them. So we want to try to eat real food as much as possible. What we can do, this is, I don't even want to say this because some people will use it the wrong way, but you can use fake foods, processed foods to spike your insulin after a workout to super physiological levels that you wouldn't okay, be now able I got to hear about that. How does that work? Food. So... <laughs> So if you think of, if I say when we eat carbohydrates, we want to eat carbohydrates that have fiber in it. And the reason for that is because the fiber will blunt a big blood sugar spike. That fiber slows down the processing of carbohydrates. So as a whole, that's going to be good for preventing people from getting fat, gaining extra fat, keeping their blood sugar lower. Now, in the purpose of growing and getting as big as possible or building muscle mass, we can use fake foods that have zero fiber in order to spike our blood sugar and our insulin to levels that wouldn't be attainable with real food. So if you take Sour Patch Kids, for example, or Starburst, uh -huh. that's just a big wad of sugar is all as it is. So if after a workout, you eat a couple pieces of candy you're going to get this massive insulin spike. And from there, as long as you're getting your protein with that massive insulin spike, so, it's a way that so you can So that's why these bodybuilders eat snicker bars. Like there's a real method the to their madness. Snicker bars. Wow. <laughs> exactly. And I used to do it eating just dried ramen noodles during a workout or pop tarts during a workout to really spike insulin. And you know, a lot of these bodybuilders that are actually using substances or uh, performance enhancing drugs they'll use insulin as a way to force themselves to grow and we know that's a terrible thing because that's a, a great way to you know get cancer i mean it's it's a really terrible thing and so instead of using insulin which can you can kill yourself really easily with that wow. we can use candy these highly processed carbohydrates to spike insulin at these is levels that, that having your you cake and eating it too food. or is that is that it's like a, a life hack or like what's your what's your recommendation there <laughs> once in a while it's okay okay depends on your goal it depends you could do it and it depends on your workout too so if you have a very intense workout Say you've been depleted for three days you've been three days low carbohydrates you just had a really hard workout 
and you've noticed that you're feeling depleted and your muscles are a little flatter. Well, that third day, you may decide that, all right, after this workout, I'm going to load myself up. I'm going to do a refuel. And at that point, you say, I'm going to use some some candy here and I'm going to drink some candy and eat a protein shake. Hell, I've even used put maple syrup in my protein shakes because maple syrup is the same sort of thing. It's just so you, literally so sugar syrup. So using something now, like what that about to really like, spike. Um, yeah. What, what about just like sweets in your regular diet? Do you, do you drink diet drinks or, or, or um, I don't know, like flavor your coffee with any kind of like artificial sweeteners or like, do you use any of that stuff? Yeah. So the, the artificial sweetener thing. So I, I tend to avoid artificial sweeteners as much as possible. Uh, there's conflicting research out there on whether or not it actually you know, causes people to gain weight, if it's having a blood sugar response. The research that I've seen is that with artificial sweeteners, it may not have the blood sugar spike, but what it does have, it will modify your gut biome. So it will impact the flora in your gut. And when it impacts the flora of your gut, if it's killing the gut flora that you need to digest and process foods, we wipe that out with artificial sweeteners. Now yep. we have people that think they're doing healthy, but they're unable to process the food that they're eating. So that's my take on artificial sweeteners is I'll use it a little bit every so often if I have no other choice. But understanding that if I'm using artificial sweeteners, I need to be careful on taking probiotics and being sure that I'm replenishing. Well, I also notice my, if I'm using them, bio. I've been making this new dessert, which I call fat boy pudding. <laughs> fat boy pudding is just whipped cream. <laughs> so you take a cold bowl with some heavy cream, maybe a half cup is like 400 calories or so. And uh, you whip that up until it's actual whipping cream. And then you add a big heaping scoop of protein powder and a little artificial sweetener. And the reason it's fat boy pudding is because you're going to get so fat eating it because it's so delicious. But what I've noticed eating it is that uh, the artificial sweeteners, <laughs> I don't know, it's like it awakens the same hunger and the same desire for sweets that candy does. Because like ostensibly, one of the reasons I would want to use artificial sweeteners, like for me as a former fatty, as, as much as I was, uh, when I get the hunger, like I can eat a cake by myself. Easy, easy. Like, you know, on YouTube, you see these people, 10,000 calorie challenge. Mm -hmm. It's not a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. I can eat 10,000 calories in a heartbeat. It's not a challenge. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I wonder if it is changing your gut microbiome because I find when I get my nutrition really dialed in and I'm eating super clean, I genuinely crave those foods. Like if I'm eating eggs in the morning, that's what I want to eat in the morning. If I'm eating steak at night, that's what I want to eat at night. And if I go two or three weeks with like having really dialed nutrition, I'm super craving healthy foods versus like you could, I think, do the same thing with cheesecake. So yeah, I wonder if it's changing your gut biome in that way and that it's actually making you kind of crave those sweets. The research that I've seen, that's the biggest thing that I've seen compelling from research on the artificial sweeteners is the change in the gut biome. And something that comes up too with what you mentioned is the change, or you didn't say it, but how if you're eating healthy foods that you start to notice yeah. craving or wanting different foods. And yes. what can happen is we change our taste palate. If we're eating foods that are, say, 
highly sweetened, tons of sugar, artificial sweeteners. Yeah. That's going to change what tastes palatable to us. Where as soon as we remove the sugars, the salts, it changes what tastes good. And, you know, I got nephews, I got cousins that don't think anything tastes good. And a lot of it is because of the types of food they eat that these kids now won't eat real foods because yep. they've been eating these processed cereals or these snacks. And what that does is it changes what tastes good. And that's why So you why can really have so your cake and eat kids. it too. If you can change your taste to your buds point, to though, create good I, food, like that's a win-win. Yeah, it can be a win-win and using it appropriately, it can be one of the greatest tools. It's just understanding that moderation is key. You can't eat a whole cake after a workout, but you can eat a little bit and still get your protein. But I want to say something to what you said about the, um, with the sweeteners. So instead of using like an artificial sweetener, you could use say like monk fruit. Monk fruit is a a great sweetener that's natural has lower impact. Well, on I do use sugar. that, but that's not it artificial. Great, but using something like monk fruit. Really, I would oh, consider that wow. more of a natural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like uh, monk fruit, coconut sugar is also one that, in moderation, is a lot lower on the glycemic index. So, using those sort of sweeteners that are more natural, even oh. stevia, stevia would be considered that natural. Is really interesting as well yeah but you could use those and they're going to be a lot better on the gut um so that's the eat part um the sleep part man that is so important like people like in uh the tech industry that's kind of like my world yeah um or anyway like in in tech it's like a badge of honor where if you're only sleeping four hours a night that means you're a real hard worker and you're getting after it and i don't know it just seems so ridiculous to me it's rewarded. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, think of it. It's our yeah. sleep is what gets sacrificed more than anything else. Rarely are people sacrificing right. their work right. to go do more sleep. You know, it's the and it is rewarded. People are sacrificing sleep to get more work done. And, and it is, and, and I'm guilty of it. I mean, I'm guilty of staying up late to get things done. And I also notice the ramifications of that because we need sleep. If we don't have sleep, our body I mean, I could talk about it all day, but for one, our hormones can't repair. Our hormones aren't optimized. If we're staying up late into the night, then we're going to be higher levels of cortisol into the evening, which is going to make us crave more sugary foods. People that are shift workers that work at night, they have a hard, hard time losing any weight because their hormones are so messed up. And then if we don't get enough, if men, if we don't get at least seven hours of sleep, seven and a half hours of sleep, testosterone levels are going to be plummeted. We need to have sleep in order to have our testosterone replenish. And I notice it in myself and it's strictly down to, if I get less than seven hours and 15 minutes of sleep, that's when I notice the decline. I can still function. I may feel this low level of anxiety or agitation throughout the day, (laughs) and I may not wake up with the heart on like I would if I had seven hours and 15 minutes of sleep, but I can still function and go throughout the day. It's not optimal, and it's really important. I'm the same way. I can feel a lack of sleep so much more than a lack of food or any other stressor or any other kind of thing. Um, Sleep, I, I feel it. Um, but yeah, it's funny how people are sacrifice 
I sacrifice sleep first. Have you heard of uh, Andrew Huberman? He's a podcaster. Yeah, I love I love I love his content. Love, um, but yeah. man, I never really took yeah, this great. like circadian rhythm stuff seriously until I started hearing him like rant about light timing, and he talks about it so much. I was like, okay, there's got to be something to it. So I started getting out of bed first thing in the morning and just going outside literally within like 10 seconds of waking out up. Like sometimes I would just lay down outside if I was that tired, but I would just force myself to like be outside. And he, uh, he was right. Like it's, it resets your clock. Um, and cause I've never really been a morning person, but, uh, the times where if I actually spend the dedicated time to like go out and get some sunlight um, I find myself just naturally more tired, maybe whatever, like earlier in the day. And so I, I guess I wonder, uh, do you have any, any kind of like ideas on like, uh, how people can optimize their sleep? That's one I found like, per, that's pretty handy is that is the light timing protocol he, he, he provides. Yeah, it's so important. The light is number one and, and yep. Huberman, he's a, um, was he a neurobiologist by training? So he's very, or ophthalmologist. So he's really into the eyes and the brain. Right. The eyes are the greatest neurons that we have that signal light exposure. And so with light exposure, that's the biggest thing that can impact our sleep. When we sleep, we want to have a dark environment. We want it to be cool and we want it to be quiet. So those three things is what we're shooting for in our sleep environment. The biggest problem with our sleep is that we have these devices. We have artificial light. We have our phones. We have our computers. We have TVs. Hell, even the street lights now are artificial lights. And if we're getting this constant input of artificial lights, it's telling our body, it's telling our circadian rhythm in our body that it's daytime. It may be two in the morning and you're outside walking along a street. You got street lamps looking at your phone. Well, you're gonna, your body's going to think that it's daytime. So when we're out of alignment with that connection with our sleep, and we could even liken it to the fire element of the, the light of the sun, the element of fire. And if we tune to the rhythm of the sun, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, we stay tuned into that element of fire, of light. When we're out of alignment with that and we're using devices late into the night, we're watching phones, TVs, that's interrupting our natural rhythm with nature and with the environment. And so the biggest thing that we can do is to put our phones away to dim the lights after the sun goes down. And especially we can avoid our phones for an hour before bedtime or avoid any artificial light exposure for an hour before bedtime. That's one of the best things we can do for our sleep. And we can even have red light. And you can see in, in the background here, I have... Uh, red light therapy strips all around my house here because it helps me to be more in rhythm with nature to have that circadian rhythm so that's the biggest thing with our sleep is to control our light exposure our temperature and then our our level of sound um, and then the the last thing i wanted to talk about from your uh book was which we've talked about a lot was the the move aspect um with move you have like strength you have flexibility you have endurance um, what are, is there, is there a specific element to movement that you think most people are missing? Yeah, movement. So 
life is movement and move is movement is life without movement we're without life so movement is essential for us to have life i break movement down into three primary categories we got strength we got mobility and we got cardio for strength i encourage people to really focus on the primal strength movements the core compound movements of the push the pull we have the lift, which is the deadlift. We have a lunge, and then we have a carry, like a farmer's carry. So we have these core movements that we want to do. And if we can really focus on these functional foundational movements and getting strong with these movements, that's really the best thing that we can do for building up strength in our body. And not only building up strength physically, but we're going to start to look stronger and it's those movements that are the best movements for hypertrophy for muscle growth and to get big muscles so that's the first aspect of movement is the strengthening component next we have the cardio component and cardio is important because our heart health our circulation our blood throat blood flow without our body we want to have a healthy heart and we also want to have healthy lungs so the cardio system is very important because of our repair but also because of our physique and our metabolism with our cardio recommendation i typically like to reference the recommendations of like the american college of sports medicine the acsm uh, the CDC, the NIH, uh, these different institutions, American Heart Association, they all recommend somewhere between 150 to 180 minutes of moderate intensity it's a good amount of time. activity every week. So that could look like doing, it's a good amount of time. And you could say if we're looking at 150 minutes of moderate intensity, okay. that's three yeah. days of 50 minutes every day. You could also look at it from the standpoint of I mean, any way that you can get between 150 to 180, there's a lot of different uh, combinations that you can do with that. But that's as long as you're within that range, it right. just depends further on what exactly your goal is and what your prescription is going to be. But that's the cardio component. And then the, the third component to that, we hit the strength, we hit the cardio, and then we got mobility. So it's important that we're able to move our body, that we're able to have full range of motion. We have the flexibility. We have the extensibility of our tissue. If we have scar tissue and that body part isn't moving, it's restricted in its mobility, well, that then is going to impact your ability to do functional activities. It may also cause you pain, and it may also cause you an injury. So it's important that we have a functional level of mobility that is a a minimum amount of mobility because if I can't reach my arm up all the way and I go to the gym and I'm trying to do shoulder presses in a, a limited range of motion, well, we're just begging for injuries. So what I do is in the book, I break down those different categories of the, the movement, the eating, the sleeping, and I give prescriptions based off of what that. humans would do in nature what would humans be doing and how we would get these dosages of movement of eating of sleeping just by being a primal human living in nature and because we've removed ourselves from nature this is why we're in the problem of where we are now yes. where we're an over domesticated human species that is eating shit we're not moving and we ain't sleeping worth a damn so we need to become more in tune with our primal human nature. And that's truly what's going to get majority of the people to the baseline they want to be at. 
if we want to take it to the next level, then this is where the men's aesthetic program comes in place or working on one-on-one -on -one coaching. But literally anybody out there applplying the principles of Primal RX and eating, moving, sleeping with nature oh, will get 80% of the that. results that I love that. I love that. The, um, it is the over-domestication. We're overly domesticated. And we need to find our way back to nature. Cody, we I love your message, are. man. I feel like we could talk for 26 hours in a day. <laughs> um, but you have such a great message. So people, <laughs> people can find the yeah, preview of your course, the aesthetic, uh, the, the preview of the aesthetic body course on your website, Primal RX. Um, and some of your other materials are on there. The book is on Amazon. You're Cody dot Crockett, C R O C K is there E T T on Instagram. Um, and you have powerful, powerful -T -T, subliminals. Yeah. Is that on the app store or how can people find that? Yeah. Powerful subliminals. You can find on the app store for both iOS and Android. You can go to powerfulsubliminals.com. We have a Shopify store there. If you actually want to buy the audios and download the files yourself and have them for you, you can do that there. A lot of people prefer the app. It's a subscription based and there's a lot, you can access all the subliminal audios, meditations and primers on that app. So powerful subliminals. Well, I wish we could, you know, we'll, we'll have to find another time to connect mm -hmm. because, um, I just love your ideas and I love what you're doing. I think it's like 10 out of 10. Cool. So thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us and, and spending your time with us as well. Awesome, Caleb. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate you inviting me to come on and to have this conversation. We got to tackle a lot of different categories, different things from just mindset, discipline, to plant medicine, to training and nutrition. And just uh, we can, yeah, we can literally go in so many different directions. So uh, for your listeners, if they're interested, what they can do is they can get my Peak Physique Playbook for free. If you go to primalrx.com, there's a free resource there. I'm just starting to get the first couple of steps going towards building up your aesthetic physique. So if you want that, primalrx.com. And then like you said, with the men's aesthetic physique program coming out, I call it the map. The map is dropping next week and giving men the map to building the physique, the confidence, the masculine strength. And we talk about a lot about the concepts we talked about here from, you know, the mindset, the body, and also have a section on primal nature and testosterone optimization. So a lot of juicy stuff there that these are, I follow for myself. These are all so such great ideas and that. everyone should uh, subscribe to them and, and follow them. Um, I believe anyway. But yeah, man, thank you so much again for, for coming on and sharing with us. Thanks, Cody. All right. We'll talk to you awesome. later. Thanks a lot, Caleb. Bye. Later, brother.